Welcome to the listeners of Tal Radio English. We're bringing global executives on this platform to share their journey. Our guest today is from an organization whose story began in 1975 with a new concept of service dogs for people with physical disabilities, and it's been more than 45 years and it's still counting. Canyon Companions, as a leader and the largest provider of service dog industry in the world, enhance independence for children, adults, and veterans with disabilities to expertly train service dogs. Our guest today is Michelle Williams, Public Relations and Marketing Coordinator at Canyon Companions, who has been working and associated with Canyon for about a decade now. Michelle, welcome to the show. Pleasure to have you with us. Oh, we're so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Already. It's been quite a long number of years that you have been associated with Canon Companions. What made you be a part of this association? How do you feel about it? You know, it's just a wonderful organization, such a wonderful mission. Um, I think I was really after after graduating from college from university, I was looking to make a difference. Um, and I, I love dogs. A lot of us are attracted because of the dogs and then really, you know, helping people with disabilities. It's just such a wonderful mission. And that's what really got me attracted to it and why I've stayed for almost 10 years, like you said. Right. Can you please highlight your background before joining Canine Companions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, have always really cared deeply about people and helping people. Um, and I studied communication and political science. I thought maybe I wanted to go into politics and then decided maybe I can help um, with something not so political. And, you know, what's better than, than dogs helping people? It, it just seemed like the best place where I could really put my my communication skills uh, to work. And it's been wonderful. I just love it here. You know, it's a very interesting uh, concept uh, about uh, Canyon Companions. Uh, can you explain more in detail about uh, what all activities that you get involved with? Yeah. So like you mentioned, we are the largest provider of service dogs in the United States. We provide our dogs all completely free of charge to adults, children, and veterans with disabilities completely free of charge, like I said. So um, it's just a wonderful organization. And you did mention we were founded in 1975, and we started as a very small you know, just an idea really, and then into a very small organization. Um, and since then we've grown, we have six training centers across the U.S. where we train and place uh, these incredible service dogs. Right. And uh, how did this idea come up? I know it's a long time, 1975. Uh, how did actually the idea come up to make dog as an assistant? And uh, uh, how Canyon Companions did take place and service dogs for veterans come into existence? Yeah, you know, I, we've a lot of us are familiar with guide dogs. Um, guide dogs have been around for a long time, guiding people who are blind. Um, but it was a newer idea, um, and really, Canine Companions first harnessed this idea that you know dogs could help people with physical disabilities. Um, you know, do practical tasks. 
uh, like picking up dropped items and things like that. Um, and uh, I've since learned uh, that that idea started when um, someone who was first uh, around when Canine Companions began saw uh, working uh, burrows, you know, donkeys uh, overseas somewhere and thought, you know, dogs could help people. Um, there are working animals. Um, and that's kind of how it all began. And now, like I said, we're the largest provider of service dogs in the United States. So it's wonderful. Right. And uh, recently, we, have, we are all still reeling through under the pressure of the pandemic, right? COVID has been the biggest challenge for all of us. And uh, it has also served as a combat field for uh, many of the nonprofits. In fact, almost all of the nonprofits out there. Are there any specific projects that were taken up by Kenyan Companions uh, and its volunteers during this time? Because it's it's a unique cause that you have got. And what was the overall impact and how were the difficulties that you had faced? How did you overcome all those difficulties? Yeah, you know, it was a, a hard time for all of us, right? Um, people and dogs, um, certainly. And there were just a lot of pieces to this. Um, you know, one was that at first we had to completely shut down just like everybody else. Um, but we have dogs uh, that need to be trained and we know that there are people waiting for their service dogs. So uh, at first, we, when we evacuated our campus, uh, we had our trainers actually took the dogs home into foster and continued their training. So some of our trainers even had, you know, five dogs at their home and continued training them. So that was just an incredible, incredible effort um, on the part of all of our staff. Um, and then, you know, looking further into the pandemic, um, you know, our volunteers raise and train our puppies. Uh, out in out in the community. And with the pandemic kind of closing everything down, those were a lot of socialization opportunities that were then um, gone. So our puppies, uh, we're noticing a difference in some of our puppies that have turned in that aren't as maybe as well socialized to some environments um, as they would have been without a pandemic, right? Then there's another really fun uh, volunteer activity that came out of this, and that is our Aviation Partners Program. So uh, our, our all of our service dogs start as adorable little puppies um, at eight weeks old. Uh, they're well, we actually breed our our own dogs. We breed them for calm temperament, and we breed out medical conditions. We really want to make sure that these dogs are just the best of the best when we place them. Um, and so all the puppies start where our headquarters is in Northern California, and we need to get them out all over the country to our volunteers who raise them for the first year and a half. Um, so when the pandemic started, of course, all the airlines basically shut down. Um, all of them stopped uh, for, for a short time, uh, stopped shipping live cargo. So we used to use commercial airlines to ship our puppies to our puppy raisers, and that wasn't an option anymore. So we looked to private pilots to try to move these puppies all over the country to their volunteer raisers. And um, since then, the Aviation Partners Program was really born. And we've continued that program because it's been so, so wonderful. Um, 
you know, the pilots are just loving it. Our puppies have never flown better. They fly better than most of us humans, right? And uh, and it's a huge cost savings for us. And we're a nonprofit. And like I mentioned, we provide all the dogs free of charge. So that has just been a really wonderful program that's, you know, kind of a silver lining from this pandemic. That's a great motivation to see all those young pilots come forward uh for helping during those, during these uh, terrible times. Now, with service dogs that we talk about, right, we are also talking about three different levels of services that these dogs become available for all of us, right? I mean, for children, for veterans, and uh, old age people. How are the training requirements for each of the three different categories? Are they different for each category? Are there uh, unique, I mean, specifically design training programs for uh, the dogs for uh, the purpose that they are looking forward to serve? Yeah, you know, it is really interesting. The dogs are all very unique and as are our clients. And we want to make sure that these dogs are going to, you know, perform so well, you know, work really well for their clients and, and be in a great team. Um, so as you mentioned, we do provide um, service dogs to adults, children, and veterans. Um, our, our service dogs are going to pick up dropped items, turn on and off lights, open and close doors. Um, some of them even learn to pull someone in a manual wheelchair and propel them forward, which can be just a really life-changing um, task because for someone who's been using a wheelchair for decades, um, it can really be a big strain on their shoulders. They can get a lot of rotator cuff injuries and different things. So to have a dog that can help propel them forward, um, they just hold on to their vest there. Um, that can be really impactful. So those are our service dogs. Um, that's kind of what they do for adults with disabilities. And then for the children, of course, they can do those tasks, you know, picking up dropped items, turning on and off lights, opening and closing doors. Um, but they also uh, can help, you know, a lot of our children with disabilities will go to physical therapy and occupational therapy or have lengthy hospital stays and the dogs can help them, you know, with that. Um, I, one of our, one of our, the children with disabilities, she has kind of a, um, like an impart, a partial arm and the dog was able to pick up her lunchbox and help her put it onto her arm so that she could go to school. I just thought that was so cute. So, um, the dogs really, you know, for children are really, we're helping them, gosh, you know, use the commands that are really going to help them in their life. So whereas, you know, if I'm an adult with a disability, my dog might be picking up my cell phone here. Um, for a child, it might be picking up, you know, their pencil when they're at school or, um, you know, just a number, a number of things. Uh, and then you also mentioned our veterans. Um, we do provide our service dogs uh, to veterans with physical disabilities, and, and those dogs will do many of the same tasks that I described. Um, but then we also have a, a specific program for uh, our veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. And those dogs learn a completely different set of commands. Um, they can pick up items because sometimes our veterans will want items picked up, um, but they also do some, some really cool specific activities. So um, one thing is uh, delivering items from a distance. So they can actually go grab uh, maybe a, a medicine, you know, a pill jar of medicine for the veteran from afar and, and come bring it back to them. Uh, they can go into the room ahead of the veteran and turn on the light. So, you know, it's a it's a lit area, make them feel more comfortable. 
they also perform some positional commands, um, getting in front and behind of the veteran to give them some more space in public. And then really one of the coolest ones, I think, is they perform anxiety interruption and nightmare interruption. So um, with anxiety interruption, they'll see some of those anxiety cues, whether that is um, somebody tapping their leg or moving their arm or maybe putting your hands in your head, um, you know, just anxious behaviors, the dog can come and interrupt that and really um, kind of serve as a grounding, um, you know, keep them in the present. Um, they also can interrupt nightmares, like I mentioned, and the way that works is if the veteran is having a nightmare, the dog will, you know, wake up and um, will either, you know, depending on the way the veteran wants to be interrupted, the dog can jump onto the bed um, and, you know, wake them up that way. The dog can just uh, turn on the lights and pull off the covers. So, you know, depending on what the veteran needs and wants and um, kind of the needs of the team, uh, we can we can do a, some different things. And then there are two different types of dogs, which I haven't discussed yet, that are that are pretty exciting. Um, one is our, our facility dogs. So our facility dogs are going to work with professionals who work in uh, criminal justice, uh, healthcare, or rehabilitation settings. Um, so these are people who are professionals um, who work with people who can benefit from the dog. Um, so we have facility dogs in children's hospitals all across the country, um, in physical therapy offices, occupational therapy, uh, as well, you know, speech therapy. I mean, these dogs can just do so much. Um, and then I mentioned the criminal justice dogs. Um, that's just incredible as well. These facility dogs work with um, DAs and investigators to really help people through the criminal justice process. And they're going to use those commands that I talked about to really interact with and help motivate and calm these clients. So it's pretty cool. You know, I can give an example. Um, I've seen some of our dogs in a children's hospital and you know, a kid doesn't really want to walk around the hospital as recommended by their doctor. That seems boring. Um, but maybe they get a, you know, walk around with the dog or someone in physical therapy, you know, doing a monotonous motion isn't that exciting. But if you can actually throw a ball to a dog or maybe play tug with a dog while you're testing your balance, that's going to be a lot more fun, right? Um, so really helping motivate those clients. Um, and then the last, uh, kind of service dog that we provide are our hearing dogs. And those dogs are going to alert adults who are deaf or hard of hearing to sounds in their environment. So that is just incredible to see. Um, the dogs, uh, you know, will alert them to, you know, their cell phone ringing, uh, an alarm clock, um, gosh, I mean, a fire alarm, even alert them if they drop their keys, that's a sound that they wouldn't hear and they'd just walk along without their keys, but the dog can alert them that that has happened. Um, another really cool one is the dogs can actually learn their handler's names and alert them when their name is being called. Um, so that is just um, unbelievable, really. And um, I've just heard story after story about how they change lives. You know, it's it's so very overwhelming in terms of uh, trying to see what all the benefits that we could have together, right? I mean, but more importantly, as I keep thinking on all the data points or information that you're providing, it, it is a very complex training. It must be involving a lot of doctors as well, a lot of trained professional uh, veterinary doctors. And uh, I don't know what kind of a team, sir. Can you throw some light on that front? Like, uh, 
uh, how do you make it uh, so much available uh, for every person out there who is much in need of a service dog and there is a lot of complex process and training that is that goes behind the scenes we want to make sure that our listeners understand how complex this is it is it is um an incredible process and it really starts at day 1 so you know i mentioned we have our own breeding program that we've had since 1975 we've um you know we've tested with a lot of different breeds we used some rescue dogs at some points and really found that breeding labrador retrievers and golden retrievers and crosses of the two breeds was just that perfect mix for the type of work that our dogs are are doing um they're natural retrievers they also really um you know bond well with different handlers um which is really important in all our program and you know that'll become clear in just a moment when i when i explain um so you know our breeder our breeder caretakers we have volunteers who have the breeder dogs that all live in northern california here in our by our headquarters um and they are just a wonderful generous group of people who the breeder caretakers for the female dogs actually have the puppies in their home walk them in their home and have them there for 8 weeks and like i said the training starts on day 1 so they are socializing them to lots of different sounds we have some sounds that they play that include you know babies crying and and sirens and um you know i mean just fireworks just all different kinds of sounds to try to make sure that they've heard you know all that kind of stuff they'll also introduce them to lots of different people as they start to get older um it'll be unique for a puppy to see a sometimes a man with a beard or someone wearing a hat you know there's there's things that we see all day every day that we think nothing about but are very novel to a puppy um they'll also start you know trimming their tiny little nails and 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 you know handling their little paws and making sure they're really comfortable with being handled by people because the first as a service dog you know you're going to get bathed and get your nails done and get your teeth brushed and your ears cleaned um possibly more often than a pet right and we want our dogs to be really comfortable with all that handling and and maneuvering um and make sure that they're really well well-rounded puppies um and our breeder caretakers also start um basically toilet training litter box training even from uh that that very early stage um they'll also start a little bit of crate training so our dogs when they're puppies are trained to be in crates when they're not you know when they're sleeping and when they're not um you know out and being supervised by their person and so it's really important that they're comfortable in those crates and that all starts uh very young so that's with our breeder caretakers and that is in that first 8 weeks of life then like i said our um they get turned into our professional train our headquarters and our professional training center here in northern california and that's where our incredible veterinarians you know check them over make sure they're all very healthy and oh my gosh you mentioned doctors and experts and i will say um i meant i should have mentioned that with our breeding um there is so much research and expertise that goes into making sure that these dogs are so healthy um and I if we have a little time if you can remind me we should talk more about the research because it is pretty interesting but yes we have experts really looking into how we can make sure that these are the best service dogs um so then they're turned in we make sure they're all healthy and then they go out hopefully with our private pilots right all over the country to their volunteer puppy raisers and those volunteer puppy raisers are 
just the most wonderful, generous people. They take in the puppies at eight weeks of age and train them and socialize them. They actually train uh, more than 30 commands um, over about a year and a half. And you just fall in love with those puppies. Um, and then you turn them back in for professional training. So our volunteers during that time go to our puppy classes, um, you know, socialize the dogs to all sorts of sounds and people and environments. Um, you know, take them to baseball games and, and parties and really anywhere that someone with a disability would go, right? Um, which is anywhere where we might go. Uh, so just making sure they're used to all sorts of different things. Uh, then they're turned into our professional training center. And that's where our trainers who are um, assistance dog international certified professional service dog trainers, train them for about six to nine months in those more um, advanced commands, like picking up dropped items turning on and off lights, opening and closing doors, um, pulling someone in a manual wheelchair, um, you know, those commands that I mentioned for veterans, um, the commands for the hearing dogs. And that's where we really see, you know, which dog is going to be best fit for which program and kind of help them, you know, um, learn those tasks. And then at that point, when they're ready to be matched with our clients, uh, we invite our clients onto one of our campuses for a two-week team training where they actually stay on our campus. We have dormitories and um, learn, be matched with their service dog and learn how to work with them. So at that point, our service dogs know more than 45 commands uh, and our clients really need to know everything there is to know about having a service dog and how to use these 45 commands effectively. Um, so it's a really big process but just so so rewarding in the end absolutely it's uh it's a very 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 rigorous process as, as what a good uh, hear from you and uh, more importantly i think uh, you did you did tell me that uh, to bring back uh, the important point of some research that goes on behind the scenes right you want to throw some more light on that piece as well yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, we're just constantly doing research and we have some incredible, incredible partners, um, including um, Duke University, um, the University of Arizona. They have canine cognition programs and we have researchers here that work with us and work with them. Um, we do a lot of collaborative research, which is just really incredible. Um, some of the things we've worked on, um, and, and we have some incredible doctors. Um, Dr. Brenda Kennedy is our head of canine health and research um, and, and training, and she's just incredible. Um, and uh, Dr. Emily Bray, who's one of our postdoctoral research um, associates, she is just um, amazing. And they've been doing studies. One of them is on maternal style. So seeing if when the dogs are with their mom, when they're with their breeder caretakers in those homes, if uh, you know a more independent type of maternal style or a more doting type of maternal style is going to end up turning into you know potentially a better service dog. Um, you know it'll be interesting to see uh, you know those results and if then we can try to breed um, for for that maternal style and and potentially breed better service dogs, you know, the higher success rate. Another study that we're doing is on canine cognition. And those are, those are really ongoing. Um, we've tested a ton of our puppies. And then we've again tested them when they've come in for professional training. And it's a battery of tests 
that um, really seeing, you know, one of the tests is, will the dog follow a body cue? So if somebody's going to point to where the treat is under a cup, is the dog at eight weeks before it's really had a you know, much socialization with humans and really no training yet, is the dog going to follow a body cue of a human? Uh, and we we see that over, over chance, over 50%, that they do already at eight weeks before any training follow human body cues. Um, another one is uh, seeing if they can uh, this one's kind of funny and, and adorable. It basically, it's a clear cylinder that has, um, you know, it's it's got both sides are available for the puppy to get in, but it's a clear cylinder. And they show the puppy a treat and they put it in the clear cylinder and they're seeing if the puppy's going to go straight into it or if the puppy's going to figure out if, you know, it needs to go around to get the treat. Um, another one is kind of an, what they call the unsolvable test where they're going to actually put a treat into a container and lock it and see how long it's going to take the puppy. You know, if the puppy's going to keep trying to do it independently or when the puppy's going to look to the human to, you know, for help essentially. Um, so just a number of tests to kind of see how these puppies interact with humans, uh, even at eight weeks old. And if we can see, you know, once we see if those dogs end up graduating in our program, if we can eventually see trends that show us what early cognition, you know, is really going to, you know, potentially make better service dogs. There's a whole lot of uh, science behind it. So wonderful to know that. I believe our listeners would be very happy to hear uh, the kind of uh, uh, details that you're going in in terms of getting these service dogs trained, and that's very fabulous. Now, uh, let me just change uh, one gear uh, from dogs over to humans, right? We did talk about volunteers, right? Now, let's say if somebody wants to become a volunteer, but they don't know, they don't have experience, do you got any programs for such people, and how are they getting trained? Absolutely. You do not need any experience to volunteer for Canine Companions. And there are so many ways to volunteer, not just by raising a puppy. Um, we have, you know, fundraising events and we have um, opportunities to, to volunteer at our campuses across the country. Um, we also have volunteer chapters, um, over 50 of them across the United States um, that help, you know, raise money and raise awareness for Canine Companions, you know, do local parades and different things. So there's always ways to get involved. And then, of course, there are, you know, puppy raisers all over the country. And you also don't need experience for that. You don't have to be a, you know, professional dog trainer. You just have to have a willingness uh, to really learn and, and to take on, you know, it is a huge commitment. You teach the puppy, you know, more than 30 commands and take them basically everywhere you go that's appropriate for about a year and a half. So it's a huge commitment, but it's also so, so rewarding. So I would just tell anyone who's interested in getting involved with Canine Companions, really in any way, uh, go to our website at canine.org and uh, find out more. Uh, we'd love to have you. Great. That's a, that's a very super piece of information out there, uh, uh, Michelle. Now, uh, having talked about the service, service dogs being available, but uh, there must also be a multiple number of requests coming in day in and day out. It must be very difficult for you to manage the wait list at your end. Uh, how does the whole process work and uh, uh, what would you want our listeners to know about in terms of somebody looking for uh, some assistance uh, to, uh, to basically get a service dog in place? Yeah, um, 
gosh, you know, there is a long wait all over the country and in many organizations that do this. Uh, we have consistently about 400 people on our wait list. Um, and we know there's a huge need. And at Canine Companions, we're really trying to ensure that we can advocate for our graduates uh, and, you know, of course, breeding more successful service dogs, training more successful service dogs and placing uh, successful service dogs placing more teams, uh, we're going to try to reduce that wait list. Um, so, but there is such a need. Um, so, but if anyone is looking uh, for a service dog, please, please apply, you know, look and see, you know, find out more on our website at canine.org to see if our dogs are, you know, right for you. And we would just love uh, to have you apply if it looks like it's, it's something that's right for you. You can go to canine.org slash apply um, to learn more and uh, submit that initial application. And it is, um, you know, a pretty uh, thorough application process. We want to make sure, of course, that these incredible dogs, after all that they've gone through and all that we've put into them, uh, that they are going to, you know, work in the way that they're intended. Um, the dogs that are our service, you know, our service dogs just love to work. They want to have a job. Um, and we want to make sure, of course, that the person both needs a dog and also wants uh, the dog to do, to do the things that our dog dogs can perform for them the tasks that our dogs can do. So uh, I just encourage people to apply and look into it if they are interested. Wonderful. Of all the programs, uh, what are the future plans for canine companions that you have? Well, we really hope to keep researching and leading the industry um, so that we can kind of share some of these some of our findings um, with the rest of the service dog industry so that we can hopefully uh, decrease these wait lists so people don't have to wait as long and also um, advocate for our graduates and for all people with disabilities and all service dog users so that we can decrease um, access issues. That's one of the things that our clients deal with often is um, being denied access to public spaces because they have their service dog with them. And of course that is against the law. Um, but uh, with one problem that we do find all over is um, rampant issue with fraudulent service dogs. People um, bringing their pets in um, to public spaces where where dogs are not allowed to be. Um, and of course, we really we hope people won't do that. Um, we know that most people don't mean anything bad by it. They just don't realize that it really is harmful to people with legitimate service dogs um, because. Um, having, you know, untrained pets as even though they're adorable um, in public spaces um, it can be really dangerous to service dogs and their owners. Um, so we really hope that people will um, will not do that. Um, and that's one thing that we we hope is that we can advocate for, um, you know, 100 percent access. So people are not denied access um, when they have their service dog with them. That's absolutely very, very important. Um... I want to know if you would be able to share any story from your association with the Canaan Companions, which would have actually moved your heart and made you feel proud that you are associated with the Canaan Companions. Okay, there are so many, so I'll try to be um, I'll try to be concise here. Um, it's been incredible over you know, nearly a decade seeing meeting so many of our clients, and I think that's something that is so special and unique about Canine Companions, something that makes our mission so exceptional, is that you get to meet our clients. You know, um, it's it's so wonderful. And 
there's a couple that have really moved me. I mean, just, I mean, so many that have really moved me over the years, but I'll just share a couple. Um, have had a really close relationship with my grandma before she she passed. And um, one of our hearing graduates, so she was a woman who was deaf. Um, she was speaking at her graduation and she said, you know, I have a new grandbaby and I wasn't going to be able to watch her because I can't hear a baby cry. So now that I have this dog who's going to alert me to that, I'm going to be able to have a relationship with my granddaughter that I wasn't going to be able to have. And that one really got me. Um, another one was a veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder who said he was unable to do many things. Um, one amongst them, which didn't you know, seem to surprise me a, a ton, was he was unable to watch fireworks. And I thought, oh, that, you know, makes sense. Lots of bangs, lots of lights. Um, but that really made me kind of sad because I thought, gosh, gosh, you know, on 4th of July, we're all celebrating our independence, um, mostly due to our wonderful service members, right? Um, and and we're all watching the fireworks and, and he's not able to, he's not able to enjoy them. Um, and since being matched with his service dog um, to help mitigate those PTSD symptoms, he not only went to Disneyland with his family, but watched the fireworks show there. Um, so that one just, I could probably tell you a thousand stories like those, but oh, and I do have one more that's just so good. Um, but they're just, it's just incredible. Um, the other one that I just love is this gentleman who, he lives in San Francisco. Really nice, young, active guy. He's actually a Paralympic athlete. No big deal, right? Um, he's, he's such a cool guy. And he tells this story that um, he was never able to go get coffee on his own. Um, he lives in San Francisco. If you've been there, lots of very, uh, it's very hilly, right? Um, and I guess his coffee, his favorite coffee shop was at the top of the hill or something like that. So he was never able to go there on his own. Um, and since being matched with his dog, he was telling this story where he called his wife and said, Hey, you know, can I, can I bring you coffee? And she was kind of confused why he sounded so excited. And she's like, Oh, I, I guess, you know, and it was because he was actually able to go there on his own with the help of his service dog who helps pull him, um, up the hills of San Francisco. Go. Um, he was able to get that coffee for him and his wife at his favorite shop. Um, since then, they have a you know they have a little boy, and um, just he's doing incredible things, and it's just so so cool um, to see that. Um, and then there was a little boy um, who had autism and Down syndrome, and he was pretty nonverbal. Um, didn't speak a lot. And his mom said, you know, he hadn't told her um, that he loved her in, in many years. And she said, that's okay. It wasn't, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing bad that she felt weird about it. Just, you know, he had, that wasn't something that he said a lot. Um, and uh, at team training during that two weeks, where they're there to match with their dog, he was matched with this dog, Elsie. And his mom said that he said to, to his dog, Oh, Elsie, I love you. Mama, I love you too. Um, and that one just really got me, you know, a kid being able to get back in touch with his emotions and just the love um, that a that a dog can help bring out and can give as well um, is just incredible. So those are 
some of my favorite stories. And like I said, I could just go on forever and ever. As you said, Michelle, incredible. I can't stop uh, listening to your stories. I mean, it's, you can keep going on and on. I'm ready to listen to all of them. Uh, I mean, very touching to the heart. Very, very touching to the heart. Um, finally, with all your experience in what message would you like to share with the listeners? Oh, gosh. You know, I guess um, the the most important message I want to share is that uh, Canine Companions is really leading the way in the service dog industry, and we hope that you will support us um, and support our clients. And if you're interested in helping us provide these incredible dogs, um, these incredible expertly trained service dogs, completely free of charge to children, adults, and veterans, please visit canine.org. You can donate, you can volunteer. Um, there are so many ways to get involved, and we would just love to have you. Thank you very much, uh, Michelle. Uh, great to see how everyone on this planet are uh, dependent on each other in some way or the other, right? It's actually the essence of living together, irrespective of whether you're a human, an animal, or uh, any other living being. It's all about coexistence, isn't it? Well, thank you very much uh, for your time, Michelle. Wonderful talking with you. And I could see all the aura that you were spreading as part of the overall conversation that you were having. Uh, great enthusiasm. I appreciate uh, the kind of an affection that you would have for the dogs and the kind of a compassion that you are showing. I know you are absolutely at the right place. Thank you very much for being there. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having us. This has been wonderful. Wonderful talking to you, Michelle. You have a very good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.